Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Cure 90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 in the morning Pacific time. Mountain time is 7.40. Texas time is 8.40. And Michigan and East Coast time is 9.40 in the morning. For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, and I'm coming to you with an education background but a huge interest in the health and nutrition and exercise components of the TR90 program, only because I've had that huge interest in all of those since way back when. With that being said, that TR90 program is that one really good clean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day when you're first starting out, making sure to get 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. If you're a larger person, there's actually a calculation you can do to figure out how many grams you really need. Um, You could either add a fourth meal with 30 grams or you can uh, just increase the number of grams at your three meals. Taking your supplement 15 to 20 minutes before a meal is optimum. If you're not able to do that, do take some with your meals. They'll still work, they're just not quite as effective as they would be and efficient as they would be if you were able to take them 15 to 20 minutes before your meal. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise, at least five days a week. That's another key component to this lifestyle change. If it is a lifestyle change and you're wanting to make sure that these are those good habits, and I mix it up between the aerobic and the weight bearing just because I'm getting into that older category and I want to make sure that I have a well-balanced exercise regime that will help keep me sustained going forward for the next 60 plus years. Drinking at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 30, uh, if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking a minimum of 50 ounces of water daily. That water helps clear out toxins. It does a multitude of other things. Um, It's really key. If you think you're hungry many times, it is because your thirst is starting to, dehydration starting to really kick in and you want to stay hydrated. Um, That's one of those easy habits to start out and build into until you're up to where you need to be. Making sure to get seven to nine hours of rest nightly is another key component to this program because your body does a whole bunch of system resets. Um, it clears out toxins while you're sleeping. Good quality sleep sets you up for the next day. There's just a host of things that are really good about getting good quality sleep. If you're not getting that optimum amount of sleep, chart how much sleep you're getting, and then try going to bed 15 minutes earlier for four or five days. Um, Once that becomes a habit, then bump it up forward and go to bed another 15 minutes or so earlier just so that you start getting into that, that habit and then getting up at the same time every morning. 
seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables are also key to keeping on track with this particular program. The fruits and vegetables add a lot of micronutrients as well as macronutrients and a lot of fiber. That's why it's important to get the whole fruit or vegetable and not just juice everything because the juice strips all the fiber out and you really need the fiber to keep things moving. And average person should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily, which is really important. I think I've covered all of the topics for that. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on SoundCloud, S-O-U-N-D-C-L-O-U-D, put in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and here in 90, these calls will pop up nine plus years. Um, they are archived by Jake and the host. In the last six months or so, we've actually been including what the topic for the particular call was in case you are um, you're trying to find something in particular. With that being said, I'm going to jump into what I'm going to share with you today, which is that from Fat Chance, getting the most out of life for the rest of your um, um, beating the odds against sugar, processed food, obesity, and disease. And that was written by Robert H. Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G, M-D, M-S-L. Um, while the book itself is really dense in information and it's all scientific-based, it is really important to make sure that you're able to um, really... Um, understand the whys and the wherefores. We've been uh, recently talking about how the empire of the food industry strikes back what their response is and why they're adding so much sugar and sucrose and high fructose corn syrup to our foods. So the first one is fructose doesn't raise blood glucose. The industry argues that the fructose doesn't raise blood glucose, and they're right. Fructose has a very low glycemic index, which is a measure of a food's generation of an insulin response and is used as a method for quantifying a food's potential for weight gain. But remember, there's no fructose alone in nature. It's always found with glucose either as sucrose or as high fructose corn syrup. The glucose contribution generates quite a hefty insulin response. So the glucose is so when the glucose is metabolized it drives up insulin while the fructose causes liver fat and liver insulin resistance. Carbohydrates and fat together a great way to get to get metabolic syndrome. Number two, their argument is switch them up. Fructose for glucose. The food industry would like to develop crystalline fructose alone as an FDA-approved sweetener. They base this idea on several controlled studies that demonstrate that when you substitute fructose for glucose, calorie for calorie, there is no rise in the HbA1c, what doctors test the blood for in order to assess blood sugar control in diabetic patients. 
In fact, a fact that suggests that fructose would be desirable for diabetics. Perhaps one reason for this is the crystalline fructose is incompletely absorbed by the small intestine and thus it affects on glucose and the HbA1c may be minimal. However, if your body doesn't absorb the crystalline fructose, the GI symptoms caused by the residual fructose wreak havoc on the intestine, generating pain, bloating, and diarrhea. Remember how Olestra was going to revolutionize America as a fat substitute? It purported to add no fats, calories, or cholesterol to products. True, but it quickly lost its market share due to the side effects. As described by the health warning, this product contains Olestra, and Olestra may cause abdominal cramping and loose stools. Olestra inhibits the absorption of some vitamins and other nutrients. The additive quickly became synonymous with anal leakage and has since disappeared. Crystalline fructose may follow the same path. Furthermore, just because fructose doesn't reach HbA1c levels in the bloodstream of diabetics doesn't mean it's not doing damage. Japanese researchers have shown that the fructose binds with proteins in people. It also doesn't mean that fructose is not doing damage to proteins inside cells. Studies of animals adding and receiving ad lib sucrose versus starch show marked inflammation of liver cells leading to cirrhosis. Likewise, the studies of humans have demonstrated that sucrose consumption correlates with the degree of liver inflammation. The food industry points to controlled studies in which fructose is substituted for glucose with no increase in weight. After all, if the calories eaten are the same, then one would expect this. They also like to quote a famous 1999 study showing that the liver turns fructose to fat at a very low rate, less than 5%. If you believe this, you should be able to drink as much soda as you want. Not so fast. It holds true only if you're thin, fasting, and therefore glucogen depleted. And given fructose alone, which is poorly absorbed, rather if you're obese, insulin-resistant, fed, and getting both fructose and glucose together, a sizable percentage of the population, then fructose gets converted to a fat at a much higher rate, approximately 25%. In other words, the toxicity of fructose depends on the context. If you're an elite athlete and glucose glucogen depleted, you can eat or drink pretty much anything you want. But if you're not, then our current excessive sugar supply doesn't work for you. Argument number three. The food label is right there. The food industry argues that the information on sugar and fiber in our food is right there on the nutrition facts label in plain sight for all to see. Based on that information, people can make their own conclusions, all own conscious decisions. Not quite. 
Under the carbohydrate heading, the nutritional facts label lists total sugars. This signifies a combination of all versions of monosaccharides, which include fructose and galactose, which is milk sugar, and all disaccharides, which include maltose, glucose-glucose found in beer, lactose, glucose, galactose found in dairy, and sucrose, glucose, fructose found everywhere. For instance, one cup of low-fat milk has 12 grams of sugar, which comes from lactose. The galactose is not a problem as it is metabolized to glucose and does not pose a significant a significant health threat unless you have the disease glacotexemia, in which case you'd have died of an overwhelming infection before you were two months old. Furthermore, the fructose that is found naturally in foods is also not a problem. This amount is usually small, and invariably there is some associated fiber which limits its negative effects. All natural juice may not contain added sugar, but because the fiber has been removed from it, it's just a sugar-sweetened beverage. Again, ounce for ounce, juice has more fructose and more calories than soft drinks. What about canned fruit? Hmm. The fruit itself is fine, but they can't add water to the can because the sugar in the fruit would leach out. Instead, they add sugar syrup in high concentration to keep the fruit sweet and soft to prevent spoilage. It's the added sugar that we need to know about, which is always either sucrose or high fructose corn syrup. To put the food specifically by by the food industry for more palatability and shelf life. Likewise, we need to know how much fiber is included and how much has been removed. But you're not allowed to know this. The Nutrition Labeling Education Act, or the NLEA, of 1990 allows for the declaration of total sugars as whole. There is no differentiation between them or a provision for added sugars. The FDA stated that there is no scientific evidence to argue that the body makes any distinction between natural or added sugar. The inclusion of added sugars in the label underrepresents the sugar content of foods high in endogenous or natural sugars. However, the fiber is the mitigating factor, not the sugar. Lastly, the FDA believes that there would be no way to enforce such a rule and that the food industry would have no impetus to conform to it. But the real reason we're not allowed to know is pressure from the food industry lobbyists. Their argument to the FDA in 1989 was, if we listed the added sugars on the label, then our competitors could duplicate our recipes and this is proprietary information and we won't release it. The FDA bought that argument. The question is, do you? You may not believe the premise, but you buy the product. You'll also notice that there is there are recommended daily values for every one of the other nutrition nutrients on the food label. But there is no recommended daily 
value or daily reference intake for sugar, either natural or added. I recently had the occasion to sit on a panel with Sam Cass, Michelle Obama's personal chef, and her plate man to the White House Childhood Obesity Task Force. I asked him straight out, why is there no dietary reference intake for sugar? His response might surprise you. Why would you need a dietary reference intake for something that is not a nutrient? Wow. Sugar is not a nutrient. That might be news to the USDA. I actually kind of agree with Mr. Cass. Sugar is certainly not an essential nutrient in the sense that there is not one single biochemical reaction that requires it. Sugar is extraneous and our bodies certainly don't need it. As elaborated before, sugar is more toxic than it was than it than it ever was a nutrient. And that is actually the first of, I believe, four of the arguments. I think I'm going to have to stop there because I think I've actually run over. This is Susan Mann from Portland, Oregon, signing out. I'm going to take us off mute so we can say goodbye to each other. In three minutes, if you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, one of our illustrious leaders will be sharing information on how, the, on how to build that new skin business if you're interested. And if you have any questions or comments, you can share them as soon as I unmute the lines. So sorry for the for the uh, information dense material, but it is setting the stage for some of the next step and some of the next stuff that's coming up. So this is January third of twenty twenty two. I'm going to be looking to limit all kinds of sugars going forward because I have a sweet tooth and I kind of want to make sure I don't, I get the right type of sugar. With that being said, if there's no comments, I'll let everybody go. I wish you a wonderful day and a happy new year. And we'll be back here tomorrow for more information. And with that, I'm going to take this off of the recording and move forward.